1: Plushcare.com/slash/weight-loss.
2: From the Times today, Spurs light up the Premier League with an electric win at the Etihad but a Manchester City soft. We'll talk about an intense atmosphere at Ellen Road as Manchester United get a win over their big rivals, Leeds United. We'll examine all the teams at the bottom of the table to see how this weekend's results, maybe change who might finish in that bottom three, and we'll discuss the most unfortunate accolades in football. This is The Game. Hello and welcome back to the Game Football Podcast. I'm Hugh Wissancroft alongside Alison Rudd and Tom Clark, And we have to start, of course, we have to start with the brilliant game at the Etihad this weekend. Manchester City 2, Spurs 3. For many people, this means the title race is now alive once again. Um, Tottenham bouncing back from three straight Premier League defeats. They sealed it, of course, with a 95th minute winner. Peak Barclays, as the kids say these days. Tom, I'm going to start with you. What what do you think was key here? And let's focus in on Spurs before I hammer Manchester City. What was key to the Spurs win? Probably pressure off, I
3: think, more than anything. You talked about the poor run that they'd been on. I think for a team playing under Antonio Conte, needing a bit of maybe backs to the wall um, mentality about them, being criticised, they come away to a team that are seemed to be cruising to the title um, and been in great form themselves. I think that probably helped Tottenham were excellent. And Harry Kane talked about uh, the kind of very much the team effort all the way through uh, the team, all the way across the pitch. But I think that kind of galvanizing effect of a poor runner form and being the underdog and having that pressure off allowed them to play freely. And I think you saw that throughout the game. All the way through to them getting the winner late
0: on. Oh, it's quite nice to see in actuality something I've banged on about, which is how you play City. And I'm just well, I know the reason why a lot more teams don't do it is they don't have the caliber of of player that um, Spurs have because City play such a high line. If you can hold on to the ball in a dangerous area, which Kane can beautifully, and then have the intelligence to know that your teammates are gonna make the run behind. You've got them, haven't you? You've got them banged to rights, as they say. And mm-hmm. it was, it was, um, it looks so simple, so obvious. And it's happened before when City have lost because they don't lose often, so they're sort of seared on your brain, those moments when they are taken apart. That's what you do. You just, but has to be backed up with uh, discipline, which is um, a watchword of Conte. And it has to be backed up with concentration and an ability to be boring for most of the time. I mean, it was, it was a bit of a slog and it was hard work for that Spurs defence to stay alert, stay concentrated because City weren't appalling and there was a bit of luck in there as well that City didn't score. But they kept they kept their shape, they kept concentrated and they believed in the fact that if you've got Kane and Son together you will it will slice slice through them and city don't change so you that's the heartening thing if you're the opponent you know they're not going to suddenly be a different team because it's not working for them so you can repeat the line of attack. So it was a really good jigsaw puzzle you could see the prep that had gone into it. I agree with Tom they they played with a, a sense of freedom. They didn't seem cowed by the fact they were going to the currently best team in the country. So those, that combination worked. But I, I, I often say, if you do, if you can, maybe it's a hard thing to manufacture a sense of freedom. But if you can go into a game against City without being too scared about it, finding what you've got good in your team and trying to exploit that, then you you do stand a chance. Too many teams still sort of give up before they've even started against uh, Guardiola's sides, I think.
3: Discipline, concentration, and not being too scared. Alison's picked out some really interesting points there in relation to the final minutes of this game. I went back and watched it again, not just the goals, but the kind of the full period of added time. And City get that penalty. And I, I was watching it live, but I wanted to watch it again just to see the kind of the reactions of the players on the pitch. And it was really interesting in terms of the, the ideas of concentration and discipline. Tottenham just seemed to react far better in a strange way to to the goal than City did. There was a pass um, after the Mares penalty. Kickoff happens. City have the ball. There's a pass to Cancelo. He lets the ball roll under his foot because he's not looking at it and not concentrating pro- properly. The ball then gets back to City, they move it to the opposite side, and Kyle Walker overhits a terrible pass which Tottenham then pick up. And the winner is a brilliant, brilliant team move. And again, it comes from, as Alison said, not being too scared. You know, they were on the front foot. And another thing that Alison said, getting Harry Kane in spaces where he can hold the ball up and build play. I just thought it was really interesting watching it back in relation to the things Alison said there about concentration and discipline and not being too scared. I think that was evident across the game, but it really was evident in those final few minutes.
2: Tony Cascarino said in the Times that he thought Harry Kane's performance was the best of the season. What did you make of it? Again, I I will hammer Manchester City accordingly in in a while, but what did you make of it, Alison?
0: It only stands out because he's had such a poor season. I think what we saw was what Harry Kane has done well in recent campaigns. Ever since he started dropping deep and forging this partnership with Son, which sort of seemed to vanish for... um, A large part of this season but when he started to do that we were we were hailing him every week and that's why he's supposed to be well used to be worth you know 150 mil it's because he's got an all-round game he's not just someone who'll score a lot of goals with a good eye for goal and the striker's ego but he has that ability to be selfless and time his runs well but it's it's a beautiful partnership when it clicks And it has been before. So I think it's, I don't know, it's it's part of me is quite sad that this is being lauded so highly because this is what he was doing. He was doing it week in, week out for a while, wasn't he?
2: Yeah, but maybe we've just missed, you know, Harry Kane as, as we know him, if you know what I mean. And I think it was really interesting that it came against Manchester City. There was a part of me watching the game that thought, oh, he just wants to show the Tottenham fans that he still spurs and he's not, you know, Manchester City player of the future and he's going to show them how much he still cares because I have absolutely no idea why we weren't seeing this Harry Kane, you know, in the previous games against the likes of Southampton, for example. We know he's a top player. He raised his game for this performance. I have to, I'm I'm sorry, Ruben Diaz. I'm Rick Laporte. How many times do you want to let Harry Kane drop deep and no one goes with him? Neither of you marking anyone. How can you let him turn? I mean, honestly, this is Sunday League. This is Sunday League. I mean, how can you let a player of the quality of Harry Kane, which doesn't happen in Sunday League, turn and play a ball through when it's happened in the first 10 minutes or so? Um, In fact, it happened for the first goal even earlier than that. You've let Harry Kane turn. He's played a beautiful ball through with his left foot. That was going to be the only way that Spurs' attack was really going to function. And time and time again, it was like they were too scared. I mean, it was honestly like jaws was at the end of the boat it was like they were retreating backwards while Harry Kane went towards the open gaping mouth and all the teeth because that's where the action was because
0: that is where the action was they'd obviously only done video analysis of the past three months and hadn't <laughs> mm. <laughs> hadn't looked at the, what times when Spurs are good I mean that, that it was it was shocking Hugh, you're right because okay it's been a while since Spurs have been fully functioning but surely you and you prepare you prepare for the best your opponent can be and surely you know yourself better than people know you so you must know what your weaknesses are and plug accordingly pep's uh goes for the detail he's very demanding i can't i can't i just can't believe they didn't know this was going to happen but sometimes he can be a bit fatalistic pep i think there's something about i don't know there's something weird about how he approaches these matches occasionally And it's easy to say after the event because you don't, he doesn't lose many, but whenever he does, he he sort of acts like he knew it all along. Like he couldn't, he couldn't argue with fate or destiny.
2: I agree with you on that. I mean, reading his comments, you know, well, I never said the title race was over. It was almost like inevitably we were going to lose a game in this manner. It was just a matter of time. You know, I think Manchester City at times are soft. I'm watching that game and I'm thinking this is exactly how they get knocked out of all these major tournaments and Champions League games when they should really be winning against sides that they are clearly a higher standard than. And again, I'm not a Manchester City fan, but I find it highly disappointing. I don't truly believe that a team that is that high quality in terms of individual players should dominate a game for large parts and lose. I'm not saying they should have won, but I'm amazed that they lost that game. I mean, at the end... After the equaliser, I thought, right, they're just going to kill it. It's just going to be possession. It's going to be boring. They're just going to pass it around. And the ease, as Thomas pointed out, that they gave possession back and initiative back to Spurs. I was just, I, I could see flashbacks of Leon once again. I was watching the Champions League final. You know, I always talk about the best teams reverting to the thing that they know that they do well to calm matches down, whether that be, you know, for some teams, it's just knock it long into the corner and hold it up and make the game really bitty and frustrating for the opposition. But for Manchester City, usually it's just put your foot on it, calm everything down, roll it around, we'll get back in our structure and the other team can chase the ball for five or ten minutes and then they'll lose the initiative. And they never did that. And I was very surprised. And the other thing that Paul Hurst pointed out in the Times, Tom, which I wanted to, to ask you about, was how toothless the Manchester City attack looked because I hate to be repetitive, but once again, I was screaming at the TV, Blyer, buyer, bloody striker, please. That's all I was screaming. And I know they've bought Julian Alvarez, but you know, Haaland, I think he's the one maybe, or even Kane, someone needs to come into that front line in the summer. Yes, they would obviously
3: benefit from any of those players um, leading the line. I think just briefly on your point about them being soft, I'm not quite sure soft is the word, But I wonder whether there is a complacency that comes with the way in which they play, the slight relentlessness with which they win games at times, the runs that they go on. It almost feels like it's a natural kind of counterbalance. And that's perhaps what buys into Alison's point about Pep and, well, there's nothing I can do about this. It's almost the the yin and yang of... When you play like that, you relentlessly win away at Brentford, away here, 3-1 here, 2-1 here, 4-2 here, bang, 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 20 games unbeaten, <laughs> etc., et cetera, et cetera. And then it all just goes completely wrong. And in those moments where you need a bit of just calm composure and a bit of professionalism, as you say, put your foot on the ball. We've got 2-2. It's not ideal, but pretty good. They, they they, they, can't do it they get swept up in the idea of let's get that win let's keep going we are the juggernaut and it, it, it's it's a strange sort of complacency to me that creeps in to your point on them buying a striker it's very hard isn't it to to take that this one game and pin it on just that issue i think because they have been so brilliant at times I agree with you, and I've said it a few times myself. I'm not saying that I'm a genius and I said the title race was back on, but they haven't, to me, seemed quite as effective as an attacking unit this season um, as they were last season when we were like, oh my God, they're playing without a striker. This is amazing. So, yeah, I would suggest they're probably thinking about that in the summer. But what I would say to counter that is I I think that when... If and when that's that focal point, that striker comes in, Harry Kane, Erling Haaland, whoever it may be, that it will require quite a shift in system because then those players all around, Bernardo Silva, Raheem Sterling, who move with such freedom and effectiveness will need to adapt their games as well. So it's not, I wouldn't say it's quite as simple as bringing a striker and that will not knock them up a notch. I think that might actually cause a bit of um, disruption within the team.
0: The other thing is with City that this season, particularly, has been. It seems to be in the absence of a out and out striker, the fo- the forward minded players, they all take it in turns to have their moment in the spotlight. And most recently, mm. it's been Sterling. But you can you can pinpoint different players through the season who've had their moment where. And, People fall into this lull of saying, well, they don't need a strike. Oh, look at him. He's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then it moves on to somebody else. And then somebody else gets their their two goals uh, every game or the odd hat trick or look really sharp. And you think, wow, you know, the, the, the look at how they exploit the space and the freedom they have into changing along a front three or whatever it is they're doing. And oh, it's very hard to keep tabs. who do you mark? I mean, you never know where the goal's going to come from. It is quite a sort of risky formula because you need every week, you need one individual to play outstandingly well. And if you're just a good, very good, reliable centre forward, that takes the pressure off everybody. It's like an extra option, isn't it? And I think that it's almost like for the current system to work, they need they need at least one person to achieve perfection, and then they're given they're given a few months off, and then someone else steps in. And against Spurs, nobody had that moment. There was nobody who shone in attack.
2: This is what I mean. With Manchester City, it's the eye test. And if you watch their goals, you're just like absolutely brilliant team, sensational team goals. Of course, they don't need a striker, but I'm asking you, I'm imploring you to use the magic eye test while you're watching Manchester City. Just blur your vision slightly and watch the number of times the ball trickles across the six yard box and there's no one there to tap it in. Because that also happens a lot. And even though they're a dominant team, There is more that Manchester City, unbelievably, there is more that Manchester City could deliver if they had a genuine goal scorer in that penalty box. But there you go. I've laboured maybe slightly too long uh, on Manchester City, given it was a brilliant Spurs win. After three league defeats and all the negative stories in midweek around the weakened squad, Tom, how important is this victory in terms of Tottenham's season?
3: Hugely so, but I think this victory has to be put in the context of the previous matches and this is just the kind of old cliche but this victory will only really matter if they now use it as a springboard to it, to some good form if we then go back to the inconsistencies that and the poor performances that we saw against wolves for example then it will be well that was great fun when we beat man city but ultimately it doesn't mean very much so it'll be about the coming games now and whether we see harry kane Particularly, continue that upsurge in form or was it just because he got a bit of space against a poor, city, uh, you know, a complacent City defence? So, you know, the, to me, it's a good win, but it only really matters and is only really significant if they continue
2: to show the form and the composure um, and the brilliant play that they did. Do you think they will, Alison? Do you think they've unlocked something here? I mean, the, the next run of fixtures... It's, it's quite good for them. They're away at Burnley and Leeds. They've got Middlesbrough away from home as well in the FA Cup. Then it's Everton at home. Three games they could win conceivably. Yeah, very comfortably. Then it's Manchester United, Brighton and West Ham. So maybe it gets a little bit more difficult. So next three games, I guess, important to lay down a marker.
0: I can see them beating Everton like I see them losing to Burnley and Leeds quite easily. Really? <laughs> yes. It's I mean, that.
3: this is the point, isn't it? This is, <laughs> this is Tottenham. This is, I'm not going down the Spursy route, but this is, that's the point, isn't it? That they can, under Conte, it feels like the group of players that they have, it suits those moments against Manchester City. But then as Alison's kind of hinting at in those matches, Burnley leads, you wonder whether they're going to be passing around to each other in possession all the time going, well, what do we do now?
2: On the title race, I've had this argument all weekend. I refuse to accept that the title race is actually back on. I I I flatly refuse to. All I asked is one simple question to all of my friends who kept telling me the title race is back on. I said, from here on out, who do you think will get more points in the Premier League, Manchester City or Liverpool? That's all I want to know. Who do you think will get more points from here on out, Manchester City or Liverpool? Tom. Liverpool. Oh, really? Why is that? Well, partly because I felt like you teed me up
3: for it, and I didn't want to disappoint. (laughs) Um, But no, similar in a similar way to you. And as I say, I'm not claiming any great genius for this, but I've never felt like it was. I don't. I've never felt that the title race was over. You don't think it's back on now that there's been a very brief city slip up, but. I never really felt it was fully over because I never felt that City were in that same relentless groove that they were in last season. What, just watching them perform, it didn't feel quite as convincing. And on the flip side, Liverpool, unlike last season where they couldn't get in a groove, they kept getting injuries. They kept stuttering. It just felt like a kind of season of um, mishmash. Now, everything's coming together. Mane scored a brilliant goal and it will return to form. Luis Diaz is in the team and has just got his first goal. Mo Salah is relentless. He's just scoring and scoring. They're getting players back fit. Some of their midfielders, Thiago, seems to be influencing games more and more. They have the kind of slightly relentless feel about them. And I think you start to look at City and wonder whether, it, you know, it won't, it won't be a complete shift. But I do wonder whether Liverpool have got that relentless groove that City had last season.
2: Alison, how on is the title race then? Liverpool, a game in hand, six points behind.
0: Well, you just have to take emotion out of it and look at the look at the table, and it, it all it does all hinge on Liverpool beating City. And thinking, well, could City drop, just draw one of their remaining matches, and it's a Liverpool win all theirs? It's 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 possible, and I don't think that's ridiculous at all. So I'm nervous to say, oh, you know, it's an open title race. i I probably make City favourites because they've won more of them lately. Come on now, come on now, but, Alison. But, Put your chest but, out, puff your chest but, out now. But, come on. But, what do you mean probably?
2: <laughs> what do you mean probably?
0: If, if I don't see why you'd be neg- um, cynical about an op- a title race being back on, when it really only it really does boil down to can liverpool beat city in their second meeting of the season surely that's possible highly possible
2: actually i think one of the big things for me is when that game takes place 9th of april feels a little bit too late i actually feel like city could
0: what you think you think city will have bought a striker by then no they won't, <laughs> they won't no
2: but but i, but I think i think they could be i think they could be more than 3 points away even with the game in hand by that point in time it could be once again, far more in their favour. I think had that game taken place in the next few weeks, there could have been a huge psychological shift had Liverpool won that and that could have affected the rest of the season. But I think by that point in time, uh, Manchester City will be with, it might not be a, a huge amount, but there'll be more than the, the, the six points and the game in hand away from from well, Liverpool. You're, saying, I wouldn't you're look- saying
0: two things there, aren't you, Hugh? You're saying that this You've you've re- you've blasted City more than I that me or Tom have right. So you've made them sound like absolute muppets, and then suddenly mm-hmm. you've gone from that to saying they're not going to drop a single point, whereas Liverpool will. No, That's no, no.
2: I, no I, I never said that it wouldn't drop a single point. I said that they will drop fewer points than Liverpool between here and the end well, of well, the season. How
0: many points do you think Liverpool are going to drop? They're not going to drop many, are they?
2: Well, how many points do you think Man City are going to drop? Answer my question: Who is going to drop more points between here and the end of the city season, City or Liverpool? Your opinion, Alison Rudd.
0: Well, I think, I think, I hope that City will drop two more than Liverpool drop. <laughs> <laughs> there
4: you so go. you're that's actually that's exact. okay. Listen,
2: listen, listen. Clip that up, John, our producer. We've we've had the predictions here. It's been very firm. Um, Alison has stuck her chest out. Liverpool will win the Premier League title, and Tom says Liverpool as well. I'm saying Manchester City. I also think that
3: both of them, looking at the fixtures that are coming up, I think both of them before that game, Hugh, on April the 9th, both of them will drop points before that game. So I actually don't agree with you that it comes a bit late. I actually think it will come to that game in an incredible tight sense and it will really all come down to that game because I think both teams might drop a few
2: points before then. Right. Okay. You heard it here for the 180th time. Then the title race is back on. <laughs> we'll be following it. Of course, we will on the Game Podcast. Remember, if you're enjoying it, rate us, and leave us a review and make sure you're subscribed. We're off to Ellen Road with Henry Winter next. Now, let's talk about events at Elland Road this weekend. It was a good old-fashioned clash between two sides that aren't really friends. Leeds against Manchester United, and it ended in an important victory, at least a 4-2 win for Manchester United in that game. Uh, Our Chief Football Writer Henry Winter was there. He joins us on the game. Uh, Before we get to the game itself, tell us about the noise, the atmosphere inside Ellen Road because it felt like we'd gone back in time a little bit.
4: Well, before you got to the ground itself, you saw the number of police and that was two and a half hours before. They were were in town. They were lining the streets on the way in in about 20 years since Manchester United had had actually played at Ellen Road in the Premier League obviously last season pandemic behind closed doors so listen given all the sort of the extra things that you've talked about you know slightly angry society younger fans going in the the cocaine problem that seems to be be materialising sadly in football at the moment. There was always going to be an edge to this, and as you say, the sort of, you know the long-standing rivalry. So going in there, the it was edgy, it was electric from the moment Manchester United players ran out for the warm-up. The abuse flowed and they stood up to it Maguire stood up to it you could see the way he was smiling towards the uh t- towards the leeds fans i think he actually had one of his mates was in the crowd and they've been having some banter on the phone or some messages beforehand so i think he was looking and he did well to find him in 30000 fans so look, there, there there was a an edge to it you know leaving aside the footballing significance of the game with manchester united wanting to cement their hold on on fourth and Leeds United worrying about this slide towards the, towards the bottom part of the table. So yeah, there's a huge edge, sadly coins were thrown. There were Munich chants, there were Turkish flags, the usual paraphernalia, sadly, that comes with Manchester United, Leeds United games
2: it's sad because in the end, I think they delivered a bit of a a cracker for us, Manchester United and Leeds. I wanted to talk about Leeds a little bit earlier on. We were talking about the the sort of relegation battle, seven defeats in 10 for them now. Liverpool, Spurs and Leicester are their next three. What did
4: you make of of their
2: performance in the game? How big are their worries? I was
4: slightly surprised that Marcelo Bielsa started with Rafinha on the bench. Um, I thought he obviously changed it at 2 0 down at half time. Rafinha came on, Gilhard went up front. They had more of a focus and they were just terrific. You know, when they are attacking like that, this is Murder Ball come to life. Everyone knows the Murder Ball training session they have for 30 minutes of no shin pads, ball constantly thrown into play, everyone flying into tackles. And they then went and did that and they stormed towards Manchester United. But, you know, it's unfortunately they then, you know, they get back level, they then ship two goals through individual mistakes. They've conceded 50 goals in the Premier League this season, and that's relegation numbers. They're missing Calvin Phillips shielding in front of them. They're missing Patrick Bamford in attack to hold up the ball. So look, there there are a variety of reasons. But I spoke to uh, Dan James last week and he said, listen, this is the way that Marcello Bielsa plays. It's attack, attack, attack. But they're going to need to tighten up that defence. Otherwise, they will get dragged further into the mire. For you, how
2: concerned should Leeds fans be? They've got a five-point cushion over the relegation zone at the bottom.
4: And they're heading towards Liverpool. I mean, it's 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 difficult for them. And I think Bamford might have a chance, uh, certainly, of the bench this week. They need Calvin Phillips back. You know, Once they've got those two, because it's not a particularly big squad, it's not a particularly strong squad... But it's, uh, you know, they're they're fantastic going forward, but they've still got a championship defense. They've got a Premier League goalkeeper in Mesley, I I really like him, but they've got to stop making these mistakes. I mean, they were unfortunate in terms of injuries and having to rejig their defense in the first half and then that exposed them. But, you know, I mean, Maguire was just too strong, too determined for Lorente. They've got to be more powerful at defending set pieces.
2: Yeah, you, you wrote in the Times about Harry Maguire's inspirational performance in many ways. I have to hold my hands up. I'm one of those who has often criticised the Manchester United captain. For you, what was so important about the way he played?
4: It wasn't simply the way he played, the goal, you know, the header he, 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 he then sent to Lindelof, which, um, forced the uh, eventually forced Manchester United second goal it was just his his leadership it's his sort of occasion you know the the weather was filthy that you know the abuse they were getting from the fans was equally filthy and he stood up to it and it was just you know, he, okay he's been taking a lot of criticism but if you take a slightly broader perspective look we we know he can get turned he can be slightly immobile and get turned by players who run at him with pace. But all this writing Harry Maguire off, it's partly, you know, the legacy of the 80 million pound fee. People say it's non-80 million pounds um, defender. And that was because Manchester United paid over the odds and Leicester are very good at bargaining. But, you know, we have to remember it was only, what, nine months ago that he was voted in the UEFA team of the tournament for the Euros and he was up against some pretty decent Italian centre-halves in that as well. So look, there is a good player there. I quite like him as, a, as an individual. I think he's a, he's a decent guy. I thought what was the most important thing that came out of yesterday, given that there'd been a week of focusing on, on Maguire's leadership, should he be captain, focusing on where they risked in the dressing room, is that I think Manchester United the players showed they cared. And I think they will come away from Ellen Rogue with the points, with the performance, but also with that cementing in the fans' minds that they've got players out there who do care. And also, I know this is away from Maguire, but Ranić, I'm not a particularly huge fan of his as a coach. I understand why he's a good technical director. But in terms of what he did, the changes he made with Fred Langer coming on, I was surprised when Pogba went off because I thought he was playing quite well. But the changes he made clearly worked and those two came out scored uh, the final two goals.
2: On, on the Manchester United performance, I, I agree Ralph Randick needs a credit for what he did during the game but I think Manchester United fans would have seen them go two up and and again the two goals coming back and the equalisers and felt felt like the side was still exhibiting the same problem they had in their previous few games. Despite getting that victory, do you feel those issues are still there for United?
4: I mean, this is the thing with Manchester United. They need the consistency. You look at the relentlessness of the best two teams in the country, Manchester City and Liverpool. And okay, City had a blip at the weekend, but you know that they will go and put together another another winning run. Manchester United have got to do that. They've got to be up for every single game. You know, they've just got to imagine that they're playing at Ellen Road and that everyone's against them and they need that sort of band of brothers spirit. They've got to do that at home. They've got to do it at other games as well. So in a strange way, Leeds probably did them a favour.
2: Henry, I've got to say, I'm so glad you said that you think Manchester City are going to go on a winning run from here on out because you you could maybe settle an argument we've been having on today's podcast. I can see Alison Rudd's already not very happy with me asking this question. Who do you think will win the Premier League title from here on out?
4: I think that the real winners will be the Premier League, will be the neutral because we've got two of the, the best teams we've ever seen in this country. Different styles of play. I mean, you look at Liverpool and there's a slight sort of chaos theory, the way, the way they play. And then you look at Manchester City and it's all sort of carousel culture and moving the ball around. They're a joy, they're a joy to watch English players sort of spicing the, the two teams. Everyone saying it's going to come down to that Etihad game. Antonio Conte, who's a brilliant coach, Manchester United should have got him. That's an old argument. But if uh, people will look at what Conte did with Manchester City's high line and Paul Hurst wrote a very good piece in the game today about it, which I I urge you people to read, Uh, but other people will follow that. But look, you're up against Pep Guardiola. You're up against Ruben Diaz, who's not going to take... The defeat lightly. You're up against Rodri, who was confused by Harry Kane's movement as a 10 as a 9. You know, you're know, up against Carl Walker who is, who's determined you've got tough people in there. So I expect Manchester City to respond. But you could have this extraordinary element, which will be one of the most remarkable moments of the season. City and Liverpool could play each other four times in I think it's 11, 12 days if they get drawn against each other in the Champions League and in the semi-final of the Cup, as well as the Etihad game, I think, on April the 9th. So, look, just as a football fan, as a neutral, not being a supporter of either team, I, I just think it's fantastic and a, win, with a great, win for a fantastic run-in. But at the moment, and apologies to Alisson, uh, I see City just edging it.
0: In that case, Henry, I'm going to completely change the subject. I, I want to know, because you were there... You were there, and I think it really matters when someone's there. You see so much more because looking at the the, the game at Ellen Road on telly, it seemed to me the pitch was very, very draining, sapping the energy. I, I saw some players actually struggling to put one foot in front of the other. And I concluded erroneously that because Leeds are pushed and pushed, as you explained so vividly with their murder ball technique and so on, they're very, very fit. Manchester United are not quite at the level yet that um, a manager who loves the pressing game would like them to be at. I thought in those conditions, Leeds will get stronger and stronger as the game goes on. And they got two quick goals. So this is it now. They're going to win because they've got more energy and they'll cope better with how sapping the pitch is. But they, they look like they tired and Man United didn't. And I wonder if you could explain to me why that happened.
4: I think that's very true. I think it's also, you look at the, the quality that the respective coaches could bring in off the bench and Raniuk at Manchester United could clearly bring in you know, some exceptional players. But you're right about the pitch. I mean, there was, a, there was an extraordinary moment where Daniel James, who's I think about sort of five foot six, was challenging Paul Pogba, which sort of embodies what James and Leeds are all about. And the two of them went crashing the turf. And I actually thought Dan James was was actually going to have to swim his way out of it because there was so much water spraying up. And fair play to both sets of Players because the ball wasn't running true. It was obviously slowing up in, the, in in the wet. It wasn't like that slick surface where you could just ping it across, and the wind was filthy, particularly in the in this in the second half. So uh, yeah, look, Leeds Leeds have got Leeds have got problems there, but I just hope that Bielsa realizes that and doesn't sleepwalk towards the relegation zone because he's got to work more on that defence.
2: Henry Winter, thank you for joining us on the game podcast and I love a good football's the winner answer as well. Very much on the fence. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on the game.
0: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work
2: Right, let's talk about the bottom of the table in the Premier League. Newcastle now unbeaten in six Premier League games after a draw at West Ham. You get the feeling they'll probably end up mid-table from here on out. Um, Burnley reminded us all that they won't go without a fight. They won 3-0 at Brighton. Valt Veghorse first Premier League goal uh, in their win over Brighton. Five points behind 17th place Newcastle with two games in hand. I think survival might be on for Sean Dyche here. Tom Clark, what do you think? Oh Well, as a part-time Burnley fan,
3: this was a huge, huge relief. Um, I've criticised them all season for not being very Burnley-like. And I've been going away to everyone's favourite hipster team, Brighton, and beating them 3-0 is about as Sean Dyson, about as Burnley as you can get. It's, it's certainly encouraging. They've still got a lot of work to do. They're still probably now... In a similar position to where Newcastle were around Christmas, where people are really doubting them, um, but I think that might help them. Aaron Lennon scoring as well was great. Great finish. They'll need experienced players like him in these in these tense moments that are going to come. But it's certainly encouraging because it was it was back to what Burnley do best: keep a clean sheet and surprise a few people away from home uh, in a game that many thought they
2: probably wouldn't win. About Weghorst, I mean, he was, he was he was billed as some sort of. Jurassic Park-like beast when he was signed for the club. But he was like a teddy bear when he scored that goal, Alison. I mean, the emotion just came flooding out.
0: Yeah, it was a lovely moment. I did think he was going to start bawling his eyes out for one second there. I wouldn't tease him for it. I think it's... Um, we forget, I think, what a big deal it is when you're signed for a Premier League club from abroad. It's, you know, it's really big deal because you... It's become almost like you know, some sort of mythical kingdom, the Premier League. So many overseas players struggle initially, and they'll, they, you know, they go public and say, usually after they've been a success, they say over oh, the first few months or even longer, you know, getting used to the intensity, the physicality, the way the crowds are, everything about it, the fact that there are no easy games in the division, and it, it can be hard. And I think it, it, that makes it, you know, as you, go through time the next player to join probably is probably slightly scared at what what he'll find and his first few games were almost comically poor he he looked cumbersome and like he was you know not quite at the level didn't quite work out but to have just sort of you you turned so rapidly but obviously worked very hard at getting a connection with his teammates um is fantastic and uh, Tony Cascarino says today, he thinks he's a you know an improvement on Chris Wood who who left for um, Newcastle. So it's you know, what could have been disastrous, you know, a fellow relegation battler, Nick's Nick's one of your best players, it's aha, the Trump card is well, we've replaced that player with someone better. So there. But the thing with Burnley is they they could they could start improving and being the Burnley we we know and love. And doing okay but they do still need someone to drop into the relegation zone who isn't there now and uh, uh unfortunately for them I don't I don't think that's highly likely I think it's likely but not highly likely and given we've I think possibly Leeds possibly Leeds are the one that are falling fastest but um and everyone will say oh it's Brentford isn't it because of the terrible run they're on but come on, Christian Eriksen will play for them against Newcastle next week, and then it'll all be okay.
4: I'm
2: not sure about that, but I like your optimism. It feels like there's a few clubs who are, who are perfectly timing their run towards relegation, to be perfectly honest. It's now seven games without a win for Brentford in the Premier League. They lost 2 1 at Arsenal. Other sides as well, like I say, Leeds that we've mentioned seem to be timing that run. Everton lost 2 0 at Southampton. They've got. Manchester City Spurs and Wolves in their next three Premier League games before two huge games in terms of their survival against Newcastle and Watford. And I asked a little bit earlier on how worried Leeds fans should be about relegation. What about Everton's fans?
3: I think they'll I think they be fine, not wanting to be blasé about what would be a disastrous situation for Everton. I just think, and we alluded to it when we were discussing their excellent victory in their previous game against leeds at home where everyone was like oh this is what frank lampard's all about they'd lost to newcastle before that they beat leeds they lose to southampton i think this is what it's going to be for everton to the end of the season but ultimately they will win games and that is what will keep you up um i wouldn't be surprised to see them take points say from games against tottenham or manchester united because frank lampard is very good as a man manager at geeing people up and making people Happy and infused, and in those home games as well. Perhaps at Goodison, maybe they'll even take a pinch of draw off Manchester City. But I think they'll be fine. But we'll see this kind of flip-flop in extreme performances from them till the end of the season. Because what you don't necessarily get with Frank Lampard is consistency all the time. So I think they'll be, I think they'll be okay.
0: But okay, I think the joke, the current joke is Everton will be okay because they're going to win their home games and they're going to lose their away games. But that's enough to stay up. But. If the fa- I mean, the fans are fickle. There, they know what they like and they know what they don't like. If the fans decide we don't want to be, we, actually, this is this is all wrong. We'd, why are we in a relegation battle? Why are we having to rely on an amazing atmosphere at home? What what what's going on? Don't these players know how to play on the road? I. It does depend slightly on the fans buying into the fact that they are now in trouble, and they have to do that big. Oh come on, come on! Let's get over the line thing. Treat every game as a cup final to avoid potentially going down. I'm I'm not entirely convinced that Goodison will buy into that. I I think if they keep they keep getting destroyed away from home, and and it's not like the defeats so far have been close. The defeats have been proper proper defeats, showing that they had big problems before Lampard came in. That he's not going to solve overnight. But it requires. It requires a complete a mindset that that club don't normally have.
3: It does, but I think that point will come more into play in the summer and next season, and that's the cycle we always see with Everton and have done for a long time. But basically, since David Moyes and perhaps since after Roberto Martinez as well, these the flip flop of game to game that I'm talking about is evident in season to season, managerial appointments. You know, they go for the superstar appointment, then they go for the conventional pragmatic approach, and then they go for the superstar, and then they go pragmatic. That in itself is embodied in the way the games work. And I I agree with you that the patience is probably wearing thin, but I think because it's to make the season shorter, it's from now until the end of the season, what's the objective? Not get dragged into relegation. I think the fans will park their grievances until the summer. But I wouldn't be surprised that come October, November, we're having a conversation about Everton and a lack of consistency again. But I think ultimately that will be fine to keep them up. I disagree with you, Alison, that as much as I love a rom-com and I love a fairy tale and like Val Weghorst, I'm six foot three and I love a teary cry when something's emotional. So, you know, I'm very much of the big guys can cry. I don't I don't see the, you know, Brentford fairy tale Christian Eriksson Curling in set pieces for Ivan Tony to score. I think they're on a bad, bad run, and I don't see in the same way that Newcastle have got new players and enthusiasm. Everton have got a new manager. Leeds, I think, also in this same bracket of where I don't know where their impetus and I don't know where their kind of inspiration is coming from. You know, we talked about Burnley and you know their new talisman. I don't. I think that's a lot to put on Christian Eriksen. I think so. I would be worried about Brentford.
0: Why why is it a lot to put on Christian Erytham?
3: Well, because I think he's got a lot on him as a story, hasn't he? We as journalists are all fascinated about him. There's probably half the medical profession are fascinated by him as well to kind of see what is going to happen and how they're going to treat him, how Thomas Frank is going to manage his performances. Are we going to see him play a bit part role to start with, 20 minutes off the bench here and there? What role is he going to be able to play within the team? Even before he had a life-altering medical situation happened to him he, he was never the kind of you know he was a creative midfielder that's what he is he's not Mo Salah he's not quite Bruno Fernandes he he's a creative player that works well in a team but I think he's one that needs players playing around him I don't think he's quite that talismanic figure who will score two goals and win the game and what a, what a hero I think he will elevate Brentford of course he will and he will probably have a big impact in the dressing room as they always say because of his experience but i think given the context of what's happening in his life and his career and in the co- then placing him in that brentford team on a big slide to then say to him you are our talisman you've got to lift us on the pitch i think that's an awful lot of pressure to put on him and i'm not sure he's the type of player health issues aside all being well brilliant even even then i don't think as a type of player he's that he's that sort that will bring Brentford up
0: oh come on give give Thomas Frank more well, credit he's not going to do that to him the the reason he's gone to Brentford is precisely because everyone knows it's a huge deal and there'll be loads of attention on his first few games and then and then it it's only be the first few games people do that and then it will fade slightly but he's he's gone to Brentford because he's comfortable there and he you know he, half half the team are Danish and he knows thomas Frank really well and he feels he'll feel comfortable and they will make sure that he doesn't he isn't given that sense of responsibility at all and i don't think any of the defeats that brentford have had have been so abysmal you say oh they've they've collapsed at all they've they've, they've mostly played well in defeat they're they're they've just given their manager a new contract then there is no sense of crisis they will they will use Eriksen exactly how they should, which is to boost boost morale, add a bit of quality, no pressure on him whatsoever. It can only be a good thing. And looking at the table, all they need is like 2% marginal gain and they'll be okay.
3: But I think it can be those things and I agree with you, but I'm just coming back to the idea that Christian Ericsson will be the kind of the lift that say we're talking about with Newcastle having new players, Val Vekhorst at Burnley. I don't know where else they're getting the kind of the the star quality, the match winning moments. I don't know where else they're getting it. Ericsson, as you say, will be allowed to be what he needs to be both in a playing sense and in a medical sense. But I I think they need more than that. And I think you could easily, and and this is not a criticism of Thomas Frank, I think you could have a situation where Brentford do pretty well to the end of the season. Christian Ericsson is a lovely story and hopefully all being well, you know, comes back with no issues and they still finished just 18th, and it will still have been a good performance, and it'll still have been an impressive season. But they no, could have gone down would in be 18th.
0: They depressing, Tom. That would be
3: it would awful. be It would be, but life is hard like that. And me and Valverde will share a teary, teary pint over it as he celebrates <laughs> surviving, surviving. But it, I mean, I'm, I, it would be depressing. But I could foresee that happening with Brentford because I just think even at the start of the season when they were impressing so much, it never felt. Like he never fully convinced me that this was what was going to happen for the rest of the season, and I think it, those kind of big games and that excitement that came with them at the start of the season slightly overshadowed the period before Christmas where they started to drop off and tail off a little bit. Look, I could be wrong, and as you say, it would be <laughs> a very depressing and not at all fairy tale. You know, we're talking about the title race and um, how exciting it will be for football. It wouldn't be a great story for football and for neutrals if that what I described happened with Brentford
2: but I'm I'm just saying that I could see it listen you can still get 17 to 5 on Brentford to go down I've just had a quick check I mean that conversation (laughs) pretty much convinced me Newcastle Norwich and Burnley in their next three games so we're going to know very very soon just how much trouble Brentford could be in in terms of that relegation fight and and Tom I do like the way you switch from six foot three and really emotional to one of the coldest people I've ever met in my life so that was very very quick of you changing personality like that. Just come and watch a rom-com with me Hugh you'll see a completely (laughs) different side I promise. There was a big victory um, at the bottom of the table Watford beating Aston Villa by a goal to nil it's a first win for Roy Hodgson in the job their first win in 12 league games his old side Palace are next and then it's a tough run Manchester United Arsenal and Wolves Um, but, but has that Win and could that win give Watford maybe some impetus to go on a, a bit of a run or maybe just improve their form, Alison?
0: Well, of course, of course, and they do. The the, the oh, I thought it was a really instructive match for lots of reasons. And if I was Steven Gerrard this morning, I would be. I, I I I don't think I'd want to go out the house and go for a coffee because of the way Roy Hodgson was so nice about him saying how you know one day he'll be <laughs> one day he'll be a great manager but this you know the implication being whether he knew it or not subconsciously is that you can't you can't just walk in and have the 50 odd years of experience that that Roy Hodgson has got where you i mean you know people i think scoff at his age but he knows so much so you've got that sense of they've got a very wise man who knows how to handle these situations at the helm but also it was instructive because Watford have a lot a lot of players that look like premier league players they're just classy and some of them and you look at villa and i've thought this about villa for some time actually they've got this um slight aura of being a very good championship team about them there's something there's something not quite I feel like they got a huge boost from Gerard coming in trying to make B plus players into A minus players but they're not really and Watford were classier and the whole game was managed better Villa just don't quite have it and I think that sense of superiority as is what I think will be the critical thing for Watford leaving that that game they will think actually we're not we're not a team destined for for the championship. We're better than that. And I think they they probably are. They probably are. And um, yeah, so maybe we should include Villa in the relegation race.
2: <laughs> I mean, I've got to say, I'm looking at the two lineups from the weekend and Watford fans are probably more surprised than Villa fans that you think uh, their squad looks like a championship team. i not sure Philippe Coutinho would sign up for the second tier. But I understand what you're saying. I think maybe we're a bit quick to judge Steven Gerrard because he has that big uh, aura about him and that big history in the Premier League. They had 20 shots in this game. They had 60% possession. They had one shot on target. They should have beaten Watford, in my opinion. But I know Watford showed all the fight and character that, that you would expect down at the bottom of the table. I'm not okay, sure. Okay, that's okay, little-
0: Hugh, 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 if you could buy, if you had some dosh and you could buy, you- we had to choose between Coutinho and Dennis, who would you buy?
2: I mean, it's tough, isn't it? I mean, I mean, how much mm. money are we talking here? It's all about prices, you know. I like to haggle. Um, no, look, I, I think he's been great, Dennis. His, stat, um, his
0: stats his stats are astonishing. I mean, Coutinho yeah, has, 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 has the glamorous backstory.
2: Yeah, in terms he's, a to, he's a luxury
0: player.
3: He's a luxury player. what you need
0: to succeed in the Premier League now, you would buy Dennis, wouldn't you?
2: What about you, Tom?
3: I think I'm probably with, with Alisson. I think it's very interesting thinking about Watford and Roy Hodgson and some of those players that he's got. And I was reflecting listening to both of you debate the relegation scrap and parallels can be drawn with our excitement about the, the the title race as neutrals and as journalists. Because at one point in this season, we had you know, Watford going backwards under Claudio Ranieri, Norwich being discussed as one of the worst teams in Premier League history. Oh my God, what has happened to Burnley? Newcastle, the great club that's going to fall fall out of the league. And actually, you've now got a situation where I almost feel like Whoever the three teams will end up in the bottom won't won't be awful if that makes any sense, and they won't necessarily be judged as they were terrible. I think all all teams down the bottom will scrap and will fight, and it will ebb and flow. And few of them will have little runs, perhaps like Burnley and Watford might have now, as Norwich did a few games ago. And actually, we'll be, we'll have a quite tense and exciting relegation battle to the end of the season that will involve Brentford, Leeds. Everton, Newcastle and the bottom three at the minute. I'm not sure Villa will be dragged into it. So I think in a strange way, and, and fans of these clubs will be kind of rolling their eyes at me saying this because no one wants to be in a relegation scrap but there have been far worse teams in relegation scraps and far far more ill-equipped teams than there are at the minute. You know, Watford have got Roy Hodgson, that gives them a chance. I, I'm not sure I would have Watford's team over uh, Aston Villa's squad as Alison would but the point she's making is a good one that with Roy Hodgson and with that group of players, they've got a fighting chance now. Has
2: anyone changed their predictions on who the bottom three might be? Are you holding fast? Well, I've changed my opinion on the bottom three
3: about 19 times on this podcast through the season. (laughs) Um, But the one I said first and the one I said for a few weeks back to back was the three that came up going down. So Norwich, Watford and Brentford. And (laughs) there's just something about the Brentford situation that makes me wonder whether, as I say, they could end up in 18th And it would be a very admirable effort and we'll all be excited and delighted at Christian Eriksen's return. But they still will go down. So I'm starting to wonder about that. I'm going to hold off on changing just for now um, because I think Burnley have got to get another win yet before I start to consider changing my mind.
0: Norwich leads Everton. Wow, that would
2: be incredible. Okay, I'm not even gonna go deeper into that. We're just gonna we're gonna see what happens because that would be an incredible end to the season. Listen, still some more for us to discuss. A series of unfortunate events is next. Well, it was a highly forgettable evening for Liverpool women's player Michaela Moore. She was playing for her country New Zealand and she scored the perfect hat trick of own goals. Playing against the United States, it was a 5-0 defeat in the She Believes Cup. Left foot, right foot and header, unbelievably, of own goals. And it got us thinking about what are football's most unfortunate accolades? Um, Things that players really would want to forget. Um, Tom, have you had a thought? I have had a thought and unfortunately it's not a player and unfortunately
3: for listeners who are sick of me talking about Lincoln City, it's Lincoln related, but (laughs) it is a particularly lower league accolade that no club would want. 1986-87, relegation from the Football League was introduced to the conference. I I wasn't even born, but my dad tells me that even a pessimist like him wasn't that worried because in January, we were seventh in the table, nothing to worry about. and Then we went on a horrendous run that saw us go into the final day of the season in contention to get that first relegation spot in history, first team to go down. We are alongside Burnley and Torquay. We lost 2-0 at home to Swansea. There was massive delays in the other game, partly due to all the crowds trying to get in the off that was Burnley. All the TV crews had gone to watch Burnley because they were like, oh my God, Burnley are going to go down. Huge delays. They held on to get the points they needed to stay up. At Torquay, a dog bit a player. I'm sure you may have heard this story if you haven't checked it out. And there's even a documentary about it somewhere. A dog bit a player which delayed the game and caused absolute chaos. And so before, you know, long before the days of Twitter or anything like that, my dad's trying to find out what the hell's going on. Still not, of course, still hasn't come in. Torquay scored, Burnley held on. Lincoln went down on goal difference, finishing the season in bottom, uh, in the bottom of the table, the first and only time that season we had been bottom. We dropped in on goal difference on the final day to become the first team to be relegated from the Football League into the conference after the, after the system was introduced. So there you go. If you think scoring an own goal hat- of hat-trick, hat-trick is bad, it doesn't get much worse than that.
0: It sounds awfully like what's going to happen to Everton, Tom. <laughs>
2: uh, it's amazing. It's in a series called Losers on Netflix, all about losers. various yep. losers in sport and it's done absolutely brilliantly and it's not very long if you want to check it out and you've got to spare 20 minutes or so. So, um, Alison, what about you? What do you think?
0: I think the most unfortunate accolade of recent times is is that Kep has been called, is the world's most expensive goalkeeper. And I've calculated he's the world's most expensive keeper and he's the 53rd best keeper in the world. So that is not, it's a burden for the chap, isn't it? It was a burden when he joined Chelsea and his value has slowly slowly gone lower and lower and lower he's become a specialist keeper quite good at penalties which is stop, which makes him 53rd and not 70 74th 70, <laughs> and uh, I just I just I just think bless him and you can see him trying I don't know there are loads of players have been the most expensive this and that and usually they have something about them but he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't he still looks very young and not quite of the stature and physique and style of a, a wonderful keeper and of course if you remember he took that accolade a matter of days after Allison became the world's most expensive keeper and Allison just thrived not having that label on him whereas Kepper took all the all the pain and suffering it's I just wonder if in a parallel world if he hadn't been the world's most expensive keeper what his Chelsea career would have been like.
2: There are a lot of near misses, unfortunate accolades, I think, that are the the key. There are a lot of transfers missed out. I think of Saido Berahino, who was this future goal scorer for Spurs and never got his move. And now he's playing for Sheffield Wednesday via Belgium and how it changed not just his career, but his life. And it's something that he might be remembered for. But there are loads of players like that who um, nearly men and women in many ways. Um, Tom, what do you think? I mean, I'm, I'm particularly
3: enjoying you. Alison. is clearly, clearly, absolutely pumped at the title race being back on and Liverpool's hopes because she is coming out swinging <laughs> on this podcast. Aston Villa, a championship side. Kepper not even in the top 50 goalkeepers. Leeds and Everton to go down. I mean, honestly, never seen someone so excited at the idea of Manchester <laughs> City bottling it.
2: Listen, most unfortunate accolades could go to Alison Rudd at the end of the season when we, we get that relegation yeah. prediction back up after they both finish mid-table. So, uh, so Always, who knows always planning enough?
0: ahead, always thinking of the clips, <laughs> thinking of you.
2: Thank you very much, Alison Rudd and Tom Clark, for being with me on today's podcast and to all of you for listening as well. We'll be back on Thursday, but remember, uh, if you want more of our award-winning journalism at The Times, you can check it out online. If you sign up today, you'll get yourself one month free. It's... It's... It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game Champions League to come. Uh, We will discuss that on Thursday. As I say, we'll see you soon.
1: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right.